Good evening, everyone. You're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast coming at you from San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. Today's April 25th, 2015, and I spent the entire day today cleaning up my house. I'll go into it a little bit later. Last night, a uh, group of friends came over. We had a big potluck dinner, so that's why the house was a wreck. Anyway, if you're just uh, joining us for the first time, this is a podcast about life down here in paradise, uh, San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua, small town on the Pacific side of Nicaragua, just an old fishing village that turned into a surfer hangout and um, hostel mecca. It's on the path to becoming more touristified, but right now it's still kind of a quaint small town where everything's affordable and cheap. And this podcast is about what it's like living here and doing business here. Got a small sailboat charter company and uh, stay focused with that most of the time when I'm not fixing flat tires and playing fetch with dogs on the beach, which are two of my favorite pastimes. Thanks again for listening. Uh, Check out our website, nikasailandsurf.com. Or if you have any questions about life down here, shoot me an email at brandontheharper at gmail.com. You can also check out my blog, uh, brandontheharper.blogspot.com. That's brandontheharper, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-T-H-E-H-A-R-P-E-R, at blogspot.com. Check it out. they ever got published so i'm not sure if they're technically podcasts or just recordings of two people talking but anyway i think i'm getting better i know i'm getting better at editing first ones took quite a while to edit um but then they got a little faster i'm puppy sitting right now so if you hear a dog whining in the background that would be zach's dog suge who is in the crate learning what's like to be a puppy in a crate she still doesn't like it and it's been about two weeks but she's learning and she's crying less so we're making progress. There are also birds singing outside my house, which I don't know if you can hear them, but which is it's odd because it's nighttime. It's like 7.15 and it's dark. Birds aren't supposed to be singing, but they are. So just ignore them. I probably won't edit those guys out because I just don't want to spend that much time editing. So enjoy the birds singing and the dogs crying in the background. So I'm going to start out today talking a little bit about a uh, project that we're going to take on. And when I say we, I mean Nika, Sail, and Surf, specifically myself and Jamie. Jamie works for us answering the phones 
and she speaks perfect Spanish. So she started out just answering the phones and keeping schedules and answering emails. And it's kind of morphed and evolved into dealing with all the people that speak Spanish that we don't want to talk to. But she's awesome. Like I, I really appreciate everything she's done for us. I think she's happy. She seems to love her job. Anyway, the, the project that we're taking on is, um, well, I'll give you a little background. She was out visiting these local schools out in the Campo, which is basically like what we call the country. So out away from civilization. And these schools, like when I say primitive, that's that's what they are. A couple of them don't have running water. The kids travel, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes to get there. One of the first grade boys rides a horse every day, which I thought was pretty cool. We drove up to the school and his horse was hitched up outside the school right on the road. I was like, man, that's that's pretty cool. Not that it's cool that he has to ride a horse to school, but it's cool that he chooses a horse uh, instead of walking and riding a bike. And he's in first grade, so he's like seven or eight. He just hops on his horse with no saddle and cruises on home. I would like to have been that kid if I was in their situation. So Jamie went out to um, visit these schools. Some of her friends are starting a nonprofit organization in the U.S., and what they're going to do is... Uh, supply money to these schools, help them get, you know, things that they need to establish a learning environment. And that takes money. So she went out to look at this and be the translator uh, between the people who were at the school and the people starting the nonprofit. And she came back and was expressing to me and Zach that, you know, her interest in helping these people out. So we took a trip out there to, to look at them and see what all they needed. The teacher of the first classroom that we went to makes $180 a month, and he has to walk about 45 minutes to the little village where the school is located. Now, he stays there all week. He lives with a family that lives in the village and stays with them during the week, and then he goes home on the weekend, and he lives about an hour's drive from where the school is to his house. So he goes home on you know Fridays and comes back Sunday nights. And the school that we went to first was about 20 minutes outside of San Juan del Sur, and the kids who go there live in a radius about, I don't know, 15 to 20 minute travel time. And that's from uh, their house to the school. So, you know, however it is they go, whether it's by um, walk-in or horse or whatever, 15, 20 minutes for the kids to, to get to school, not driving. All of the families are farmers. They grow um, rice or beans. Um, some of them grow cattle. But mainly it's all um high volume, low cost crops. I think the government supports them. They subsidize the crops and buy them from them, put them in bags and give them out. And then they typically do that right around election time. They give the uh, rice and beans free to the people in hopes they'll win their votes in exchange. Um, They also collect uh, recyclables, glass, plastic, aluminum, whatnot, and they just kind of scavenge around, roam around, and pick up trash, and store it all up, and then and then go sell it whenever they have a decent amount. I heard that the the glass um, will bring ten cordobas per pound of glass. So just for simple no calculator math, that's less than fifty cents a pound for glass. Which sounds like it may be a decent amount if you had access to a lot of glass. It it would be a decent amount, but when you're walking around picking up one bottle a day. You know, one bottle every four hours or one bottle an hour. Think about how long it would take to get a decent amount of glass to make up a decent amount of money. It it doesn't work out, I guess is what I'm saying. And they also collect plastic. So at at one of the houses that we drove past, there was just plastic piled up in bags, you know, all over the place. It looked like a dump, um, just a little bit more organized. And so I guess the father was saving up 
plastic to make it worth a trip to go to wherever he sells them. I don't know if it's the recycle center or wherever he goes. I guess it's probably a pretty good ways away. It takes it a decent amount of money and fuel to get there. And so he was, you know, he has to stockpile it for quite a while. And then he goes and sells it. The kids that we saw there didn't, didn't have a lunch to eat. They just uh, would pick mangoes off the trees and eat them kind of while they're playing soccer. Um, but they had a good time. It was cool to see them, no matter what the circumstances are, they're having fun. They're kicking the soccer ball around. They're laughing, smiling, playing. When I first saw the houses, you know, they were about what I expected to see because I've kind of been around down here. But what really struck me is that there's lots of places where we would look at their houses and call them homeless. Here, like they're happy with their little house. Now, I'm sure they would be happier. They would want something bigger if they could. But they're proud of what they have. They take care of it. Um, most of them were built, you know, by their own hands from scraps of things that they found lying around. So it didn't cost them anything. And they're proud of it. And it's it's still a cool feeling to see someone be proud of what they have and, and not expect to be given more. And they're willing to work for everything they have and they're going to take care of it because they know it's going to last them. It kind of is an eye-opener, you know, when I get frustrated or mad because the power goes out or don't have enough ice. I'm just, you know, and I see those people and, you know, it's happened to everyone. We've all been there where we get to that situation and see something. And then we feel like an idiot for griping about our power windows and our cars not working correctly. So what we've decided to do for these people, well, we took them a bunch of school supplies when we went out there to visit. But besides that, what what we're going to do is I think we're going to hire a full-time either teacher's aide or second teacher to help out this guy because he's teaching kids that are from first grade through I think seventh or eighth grade all in one room there's one of him and so basically he has to just work in shifts he'll do the young kids first and then send them out to play and then he'll do the older kids and then swap them you know the older kids are learning the younger kids are out to play and vice versa the well at the school also has been poisoned I guess there's some trees around in the area that the roots got into the well and these particular trees they foul the water up, make it taste all bitter, and then it also will, will make you sick. I don't know what kinds of trees they were, but I doubt it was a mistake. I'm sure kids got sick and they figured it out. So they don't really have any water on site. All the kids, you know, carried a water bottle, however much they could carry, and that was their water for the day. And there's also no, there's not even any bathrooms or latrines. I mean, they go out in the woods. There's one area where they go to. Uh, so in addition to the, you know, hiring a full-time teacher or a teacher's aide to help out with these kids, we heard through the grapevine that there's a group of ladies uh, in the little campo area that have established a chicken co-op. And from my understanding, what they do is they, they just pulled all their money. I think there's like nine or ten of them pulled all their money. They built the chicken house and they're raising uh, hens to lay eggs and they're selling the eggs to local stores and pulperias and, and whatnot. And pulperia, once again, is like a little convenience store kind of. So what I thought would be cool would be to kind of go in and help them organize um, it, as a business, I, I doubt that they've ever done any kind of profit and loss and they don't even understand how to calculate, you know, their expenses and put that against their income and just make sure that it's worth their while to be doing what it is they're doing. So I'm going to sit down with the one or two of the ladies, um, in the next day or two and kind of get all the information I need and help them kind of formulate a business plan and, and figure out what they need to do to grow their business and whether or not they should continue doing eggs or start doing meat birds or or whatever. I'm going to do some research on my own because I don't know much about chicken farming. I've had hens before, and they lay eggs, and I eat the eggs. 
and that's about it. But I do have a degree in agricultural economics. Don't forget. So I'm hoping that between the two of those things, I can help these ladies come up with a little plan to help them earn some more money. And at the same time, we'll still help out the school as well. But um, I think the potential is higher if you can turn their little co-op into a full-blown business and they have the money to support themselves instead of just you know giving them money every month and we all know how that goes. So I'll report back after the meeting and let everyone know how it went. I think it's going to be interesting. I'm curious to know how, how they, you know, if they even keep books, if they track their costs. I know one time I, I owned a small little restaurant here in town that I went in partners with somebody and then we went sideways and he left and left me with a place and I was living in the States and basically just paying a friend of mine to help keep it afloat until I could sell it. Uh, at one point I sat down with the two girls that worked there and asked them to come up or help me come up with, um, you know, a, a ledger that shows their money coming in and money going out. And they couldn't, they couldn't even do the basic math to figure out how it worked. So hopefully that the ladies that I'm going to work with will have, you know, some basic math skills. If not, I don't know if there's much I can do to help them. Um, but maybe I'll get with Jamie and she can give them some basic math lessons. But uh, to go from not knowing basic math to running a business is not that likely to be successful. But we'll try. I'm going to go meet with them and we'll, we'll see how it goes. So stay tuned for the report on that. Okay, we're back. It's Sunday now, not Saturday night. Um, there was a big time lapse in there because there was a puppy who was not happy about being in a crate. I think if listening to this podcast, you wouldn't be happy about me recording a podcast while a puppy is not happy in his crate in the background. So you follow me? You're welcome. Continue enjoying. There was a uh, local guy here in town that I didn't really know him before this all happened, but I think I maybe met him once. He was kind of like, a, from what I understand, an adrenaline junkie, you know, liked to do crazy stuff, but he had a motorcycle here and he was um, hauling ass through the middle of the night down a country road and slammed into a horse that was crossing the road. And I don't know how fast he was going, but he must have been going pretty fast because he was laid up in the hospital for a couple of weeks. They weren't sure if he was going to pull through. Everything ends up being okay. Um, he got released from the hospital. And the whole town had a big benefit for him at a local restaurant called Big Wave Dave's, which is the best cheeseburger in town, by the way. Anyway, so they had a get-together. They had um, raffles and silent auctions and uh, live auctions and all that stuff. And we donated a trip, I think, on the boat. I haven't heard who won or how much it brought, but either way, we kind of like our chance to contribute. But it's funny about this benefit is like it's um, it's such a small town mentality around here. You go there and you see people and you talk to people and there's like gossip, you know, everyone's rumors. Because it's kind of like, you know, everyone's in the same place at the same time. And it creates a perfect environment to, to spread the news because you're seeing people that you don't always see or you don't always talk to. So it was funny. I just kind of stood back and observed that. I didn't, I didn't stay too late uh, because the next morning we had to get up early. I say early, like 5 a.m., which is early to me, and beach the boat um, because we had to do some work on it. So uh, it had a part that was under the water line that was leaking water into the transmission. So what we had to do was wait till the tide was high, and then we pulled the boat up you know, all the way as far as we can until basically the boat's hitting the ground and hold it there until the tide goes out. And when the tide goes out, the the boat is completely out of the water. It's sitting on the beach. 
The only reason we can do that is because it's a catamaran. So it has two holes instead of one, like a typical sailboat. So it's kind of to our advantage. Uh, otherwise, we'd have to go, I don't know, 36-hour sail to a place that can actually lift the boat out of the water because they can't do it here. So this is our third or fourth time to do it. Um, it went off without a hitch. It just It's an all-day thing because you got to beach it in high tide. Tide goes out. you got to work on it. You're, like, scrambling, and you're looking at the water, and it's starting to come back up. So you're always racing against the clock. And it's a good feeling whenever, you know, the water's back up, and you pull the boat out, and you stick it back on the, on the mooring. It's always a good feeling because it's, it's a stressful day. Like, you're out there the whole time in the heat. Like, you can't just leave the boat even if you get in working on it. You need someone there staying with it because it's just on a public beach. So whenever that thing pulls off and goes and hooks up to the, the mooring ball, it's always time to high-five and have a couple cold beers. So uh, that was the story for beaching the boat. And everyone always comes and walks down the beach, said, what happened, what happened? You know, they think there was some big accident, and we've told every story under the sun as to why the boat's on the beach. And sometimes people laugh, sometimes people get it, sometimes people don't, but that's half the fun to me. One of the things Jamie has gotten famous for is um, hosting these potluck dinners. So everyone knows what potluck is, where everyone brings a dish. Well, we're starting to figure out that when you do that, you have way too much food. So I think there's like 10 people here at my house, maybe 12. There was like 10 or 12 full dishes, like huge portions. And when everyone leaves, no one wants to take the food. So I got left with like tons of just junk food. I mean, it was all delicious. All of it was good, but there was so much food here. Uh, I gave a lot of it to Ronnie, the, the cuidador, the caretaker around here. And I, I made Texas chili. For those of you that know me, you know that we have a, a family recipe that won the world championship chili cook-off in 1977, Buzzard's Breath Chili. So I made that. I brought some things down from the U.S. that I knew that they wouldn't have here in preparation to make it. Uh, the meat here is not good. Uh, the beef particularly is real lean. It's real tough. It's all grass-fed beef. Uh, they don't buy feed. They don't finish it on grain, which is super healthy. You know, everyone loves it. But me being a red meat guy it just does not taste the same. So I bought some huge roast, um, cut it up into little chunks because this chili doesn't use ground beef, and it does not have beans, so... It's not real Texas chili if it has beans. So I made chili. Um, it's like an all-day affair. You start cooking it around noon, and it's done around 6. And uh, it turned out pretty good. Everyone everyone seemed to like it, but they didn't really gush with joy like people normally do in Texas. So most of the people here were from Canada, and they're used to having, like, beans and squash in their chili, which it's not chili. It's soup. It's not. You call it whatever you want to, but don't call it chili. Really, it's it's kind of offensive to do that. I also thought it was kind of funny how it's a potluck dinner, but I think four of the participants use, like, my kitchen, my utensils, my spices, my grill, and my oven. But it wasn't a big deal. I kind of laughed about it, but it's it's typical for down here. A lot of people don't have the kitchen equipment that I've got in my house, so I totally get it. It's it's nowhere near fun trying to prepare things in a kitchen that's not it's not equipped, so no big deal. It was a good time. Uh, we'll probably start doing it around once a month, and I'll kind of report back about it, especially if something exciting happens. But not sure what I'm going to make next time, but I've got a month to figure it out, and I've probably got enough food to last me until then. So I'm officially on the market for a new vehicle. 
uh, decided to get rid of the galloper simply because she doesn't gallop much anymore. She does her best to trot, and her tongue's hanging out. She's just tired, 250,000 kilometers, which I don't know how many miles that is, but it's a lot. It's, it's, it's a 1997 model, which is the year I graduated high school. It's a long time ago. It's almost a 20-year-old vehicle. And I hate hearing that because it makes me feel super old. But anyway, I've, I've got a guy who I think is a buyer for it. He's coming from a town that's about three and a half hours away. So that tells me that he's serious. We've already agreed on a price. And hopefully he shows up with cash in his pocket and a driver so he can drive this car home. I went back and forth about what I should get next. I definitely want something with a bed, like an open bed. Um, so I can throw the dogs back there after going to the beach and they don't track sand all in the car. That's the main reason, right? I mean, you think think my life revolves around anything else but my dog. Sometimes I wonder, am I like turning into that crazy dog guy? I don't know. Maybe so. If I am, I'm having fun with it. So I don't think I am, though. I know that they're just dogs. So when I first started looking, I looked at two two trucks. It's a different market down here than the U.S. You can't really get full-size vehicles. I mean, you can get a Chevrolet half-ton, but it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. It just consumes fuel most of them are automatic and you want a standard down here so everything seems to be a little bit smaller um the the truck of choice down here is the toyota hilux which it's not a u.s vehicle and i've heard a couple reasons i've heard it's because the emissions of the diesel engine won't pass the u.s standards and i've also heard it's because the safety standards of the of the truck doesn't pass the u.s so for whatever reason they love them here um i started looking at the mahindra trucks also which they've Mahindra's been making tractors for a long time. It's an Indian company. And I think that their goal is to make a hardworking, uh, dependable truck, but it's just super cheap. I sat inside one the other night, and the seats are, like, super hard, and everything just plasticky. I just feel like it's just going to rattle apart and not going to hold its value. So I've officially decided to go with the Hilux. I've been wrestling back and forth and searching online and trying to read reviews, and and that's what I do. I, I make a decision and end up just beating it to death. I try to outthink things and just research it and research it. And I'm starting to figure out that it's normally best just to pull the trigger, pick something and go with it. Otherwise you'll just research it to death and then you don't find yourself any closer to making a decision. So that's what I'm doing. I'm going with the Hilux. At first I was sold on a Mahindra just because they were so much cheaper, but uh, there's a reason why everyone has the Hiluxes here. And that's because they're, they're tough, they're comfortable, they're easy to work on. It's a little four-cylinder diesel engine, you know, good fuel economy. They're all four-wheel drive. Well, not all of them, but most of them are four-wheel drive. And they're roomy enough. Uh, it's a little bit smaller than a Tundra, but not as small as like a Tacoma or a Ford Ranger. And cars down here are expensive because they tax the crap out of them, which doesn't make sense to me because, I mean, I guess that's the way that their government has to make money. They, don't, they can't do much else, but they can tax imported goods, so... I get it, but it still makes it tough for the average man. A new Toyota Hilux, uh, brand new, like a 2015, is about $38,000. Uh, that same truck in the U.S., if they did make it, I think would sell for around twenty two, twenty three thousand. dollars $23,000. And so just to give you an idea, I'm looking at 2006 models, uh, 2006 and 2007, with about eighty or 90,000 miles on them. Uh, they're four-wheel drive diesel, uh, all-manual transmission, and I'm looking at a $15,000 asking price. Now, in my opinion, that's just too much, you know, but what am I going to do? Like, it's a truck that I want. It's a truck that I need. It sucks to have to pay that much for such an old vehicle, but that's, that's the going rate. And my little SUV, the little Galloper, 
1997 Hyundai in the U.S. with, you know, 250,000 kilometers. So that's like 130,000, 140,000 miles. Um, I think would probably sell for around $3,500 to $4,000 maybe. And I was asking 5500 for mine and the guy that I agreed with the price on 4000 So, you know, they depreciate to the same amount as what the U.S. does. It's just that they, they depreciate faster. Well, the depreciation happens over the same amount of time, and it loses value faster because it costs more to buy it than it does in the U.S. But when you go to sell it, you end up selling it for the same price. I guess the car only depreciates to a certain amount. But they... Uh, they don't tend to hold their value here like they do in the U.S., but they're still still overpriced until you get to about 20 years old, and then they and then that's where the price is kind of align. Well, the Galloper's in rough shape, man. It drinks water about a gallon of water every 10 or 15 minutes of runtime. But I told the guy that I told him, and he seems to be fine with it. Two of the windows don't go down or up. Yeah, suspension's in rough shape, and uh, I disclosed all that to him. So. Hopefully he didn't mind. He takes it and is happy. Whatever he wants to do with it is all up to him. I just, I want it off of my hands, man. That thing's a piece of junk. Speaking of piece of junk, I've got an iPhone 6 right now that is serving as a paperweight. Yes, I killed it. I committed iPhone 6 murder. On the day that we were beaching the boat, I had the phone in my pocket. And it was in a life-proof case, which is supposed to be waterproof. And I should have learned my lesson because it happened to me once before. I had it in a life-proof case and I was snorkeling and taking all kinds of underwater pictures. And everything was great. And then when I got out and got back in the boat, phone quit working. Luckily, I was, uh, I was headed back to the U.S., so I went back, traded it out. Apple didn't know that it had been in the water, so they covered it under the 90-day warranty, gave me a brand-new phone, and I thought to myself, man, I'm not going to trust that case anymore. Well, going out to beach the boat, I had it in my pocket in a life-proof case, and I thought about going to put it away. But then I thought, well, I'm probably not going to go deep enough, and if water splashes, it'll just get a little bit wet. Oh, sure enough, I you know, thought about it and then forgot and then walked in up to my waist and then took the phone out and it was wet and it was off. So we're going on day three now in a bag of rice and we took it out this morning and checked it and it just turned on and then back off. So outlook, not so good for the iPhone. And I've got a iPhone 4S old backup one that I can't get to work, but you know, I'm almost like, just screw it. Like I don't, I'm sick of messing with these iPhones. Like just give me a little little tykes phone let me make and receive some phone calls and i can check my email at home like that's like the good old days that's how we used to do it you know before email followed us everywhere so i'm seriously considering not even replacing it we'll see i'll keep you posted i don't know i'll probably chicken out and still do it but i really miss not having the music that's the main thing is that i want to be able to have music take music with me so maybe i should just get like an ipod shuffle carry that thing with me everywhere i go and it is starting to get hot around here buddy um, the other day, I think the high was 96, 97, and it was super still, no breeze. It was pretty rough. Even in the shade, it was, um, it was tough, but it wasn't humid. So those of you that live in the humid areas know how much worse it can be. It's since then cooled off a little bit. I think today it's probably 91, 92. There's a good breeze and it sucks recording these things. Cause I'm sitting in my room in like a sweat box with no fan running, no AC, because you'll just you hear the hum in the background and Mike picks everything up. So I'm covered in sweat right now, staring out the windows with no shirt, just dripping sweat on the floor. Does that sound appealing or what? Yeah, come on, move down here. It's awesome. No, I'm just I'm, I'm kidding. That doesn't happen very often. April's the hottest month of the year, and then May 15th is like the day that we get rain. Supposedly, I, I'm wanting everyone to start a betting pool and you know bet on the first day that it rains in San Juan. I think it'd be kind of cool because. 
everything super dry and brown and crispy. And the minute the rain hits, it's just like green overnight. Um, not exaggerating. Like literally the next morning you go out there and the hillside is lush and green and there's leaves on everything. So it's starting to get that time of year where everyone's all getting excited and talking about the rain and people are speculating when it's going to rain. Because it hadn't rained since, I don't know, probably November and it's now April. So people are desperately wanting some rain. Okay, I think that's going to about do it. That's 30 minutes or something like that. So I'm going to grab an ice cold beer, hop down in the pool, cool off for a little bit, and then uh, take the dogs down the beach, play fetch, and then go out for some beers tonight. I don't know what you're doing, but it's probably not that much fun. (laughs) Everyone enjoy work tomorrow. I'll be living it up in paradise. Check out our website, nikasailandsurf.com. Shoot me an email, brandonthharper at gmail.com. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Keep it tranquilo.